In visiting the church of San Juan Capistrano in California, you would find in the museum an old painting that's being restored. And in it you can make out at the very bottom a little inscription speaking of who St. John Capistrano was. In that inscription it says, In the war, by the name of Jesus, you made the conflict more profound in carrying the victorious banner. Going forth prosperous in all light, you cleanse more triumphantly the arrogant pride of the Mohammedans. And then it says something about your humility in the leveling of the crazed Turks. You made the conflict more profound in carrying the victorious banner. Now what was on that banner in that painting? I-H-S, Jesus, the holy name, Jesus' holy name. There is incredible power in that holy name. First of all, let's look at the effect that this holy name has, spiritually speaking. First of all, in our consolation, it gives us consolations in our spiritual trials down here on earth. The name of Jesus reminds us sinners that our Lord gave His only begotten, the Father who loved, loved us, that he gave his only begotten to us. For the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that the world might not be condemned. We see this example of the prodigal son. We straying away and our the Father waiting for us to return. We see this, this idea in Christ coming down to us, especially in this time of Christmas. It also brings with it salvation, for the word itself, the word of, the God, of God is clear in Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we may be saved. Bishop Sheen, in speaking of one of the stories that he endured during his life, spoke about a man who was in the hospital. And a woman asked him if he could go and visit. Now, he had been visited numerous times by other priests, and the result was the same. He would all be kicked out. And so he fared no different the first time. But he repeatedly came back. So finally, he was spending a little bit more time with him. And then finally, he said to him one night, he said, you will die tonight. And he said, yes, I know. The man was suffering from face cancer, very horrible cancer. And he says, you will die tonight. And he says, yes, I know. And he said, well, promise me that before you die, you say, my Jesus mercy. And he said, no, I will not. And he said, get out. And he began screaming, you know, and uh, that the nurse came and he left. And he went and he prayed. That man did die that night. But the nurse came and approached Bishop Sheen and said, before he died, he kept on repeating just a few minutes after you left, my Jesus mercy, my Jesus mercy. And he never stopped until he died. There's salvation with that name. It protects us also against, this, against Satan and his wiles. The devil fears that holy name. Through it, it is he who conquered on the cross. Father Gabriel Amorth in his book, An Exorcist Tells His Story, relates this. At the end of the most difficult exorcisms, when I am confronted with total demonic possessions, I pray the ecclesiastical hymn of the letter of Paul to the Philippians 2, 6-11. When I speak the words, 
so that all beings in the heavens, on earth, and in the underworld should bend at the name of Jesus. I kneel, everyone present kneels, and always the one possessed by the demons is also compelled to kneel. And it is a moving and powerful moment. I always feel that all the legions of angels are surrounding us, kneeling at the name of Jesus. Why then is this name so powerful? Well, let's look at the very nature of the name. When we consider natural names, they are often given, as St. Thomas points out, for natural reasons. For example, for some relative that one is related to. Or on a feast day where the person happens to be born, the time in which they're born. Or some sort of event or property of the baby's birth. For example, Esau, he was called red because of his skin. But when we look at the supernatural name, we see that there is a grace that is attached to it. St. Thomas says, But names given to men by God always signify some gratuitous gift bestowed on them by him. Think about Abraham. He was made the father of believers. And also St. Peter. He was made the rock upon which the church was built. And so we see there is a grace that is attached. But this name here of which we are speaking is none other than the Savior, the Savior of our souls. St. Thomas says, This prerogative of grace was bestowed on the man Christ that through him all men might be saved. Therefore he was becomingly named Jesus, Savior. The Catechism of the Council of Trent says that Jesus is the proper name of the God-man and signifies Savior. The name given him not accidentally or by the judgment or the will of man, but by the counsel and the command of God. For the angel announced to Mary his mother, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. A second reason why we can consider why it's so powerful is the very promises of God himself. Christ himself, remember, said, If you ask the Father anything in my name, it shall be given to you. And this is why we see the first miracle performed by the Christians, by St. Peter and St. John. We see them invoking the holy name of Jesus. Peter said, Silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk, and taking him by the right hand, he lifted him up, and forthwith his feet and soles received strength. And he leaped up, stood, and walked, and went with them into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. There's power behind the name because of the promises and because of the very nature of who we are calling. And we see that this is why the church, at the end of her prayers, always finishes through our Lord Jesus Christ. But for a more vivid example, we turn to that saint that we mentioned at the beginning of this, St. John Capistrano, because both him and St. Bernardine of Siena were sure enough to bring forth that name. They sent it forth through all of Christendom, praising the name and having all Christians come back to our Lord through that holy name. And most of this is going to be taken from the book of Father Vincent Fitzgerald, 1911. He was an OFM. 
And he relates this about St. John Capistrano. The year was 1456. St. John Capistrano at that time was 70 years old. He had already lived a great life of converting people. He was known throughout all of Europe as a great preacher, winning souls to God. But when Muhammad II, the Sultan of the Turks, he who had already captured Constantinople three years prior, he swore by his prophet that he would be Lord of Hungary and he would dine in Budapest within a month. This gave the Christian world pause to think and fear, or he was on the move. And he brought with him 160,000 soldiers, 160,000 Turks. This is equivalent to the force that landed on D-Day that very first day. Along with them, they had large cannons that had never been seen before, 23 of them. They were cast by Christians who had fallen away. So all the military leaders knew how easily they could have conquered St. John Capistrano arrived before the Turks had arrived. And he soon realized the soldiers needed help. He went around encouraging the Christians who were there to keep the faith and have great confidence. And then to his own Franciscans, he said these words, Hear confessions, soothe quarrels, take care of the sick and wounded, bury the dead, preach fortitude and courage. But those of you who are priests, beware not to attack any of the Turks nor to provide or fashion stones, arrows, or other arms for the troops. Your weapons against the enemies of the cross of Christ are prayers, masses, works of mercy, and the administration of the sacraments. And then to the lay brothers, the lay Franciscans, he allowed them to act as the Holy Spirit inspired them. Then he went, he snuck through the lines of the Turks, and he went to find the commander, John Hunyadi, excuse me if I mispronounce his name, I'm not Hungarian, but uh, he went and he asked him to come forward. Finally, on the 14th of July, the crusaders arrived, but the Turks had found out about this, and 64 galleons, large galleons, went out to meet them, whereas the Christians only had one and many smaller boats against this larger and more prepared army. St. John Capistrano was dropped offshore with a small contingent. And there he told the nobleman, Peter, who was with him, to unleash the standard. And there he prayed, calling upon the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ to assist the troops. And those also in Belgrade, they were also praying. For five hours the conflict went on. And the Christians prevailed. These small ships overcame and destroyed or rendered incapable of fighting the other vessels of the Turks. The first great victory in this battle. But we can see the Christians in the city itself were faithful to what St. John Capistrano had told them to do. For the secretary of St. John noted this, there was no idleness, drunkenness, or immorality, no evil speaking, gambling, theft, or quarreling, but prayers hearing of Mass, the reception of the sacraments. Imagine that in soldiers, huh? Each group had its own priests, and all were inspired by the words and example of their saintly leader. They were wonderfully peaceful, patient, and devout, but were at the same time ready to face any peril at the word of Capistran.
For days, the Turks pounded away at the walls, and they destroyed the first outer wall, and they were working on the inner wall at the time. The Christians, they set up their defense along the wall. The great tower of the citadel was showing its weakness already by a wide fissure from top to bottom, and it threatened to fall down. At this, the commander, John Hunnity, gave up the whole idea of hope at this when he saw what was befalling them. He said, we are conquered and are at the mercy of the Turks. I have often beaten them, and that not with greater number of superiority or the forces at my command, by perseverance, by skill and strategy. And I understand all their maneuvers, but now all my efforts have come to naught. I have no means of attack or defense. I have done all that I could, but my resources are at an end. The defenses cannot be made good. The walls and towers are destroyed. The way for the Turks lies open. Against such a host, we are but few, and our men are untrained, badly armed, poor, weak, and timid. The barons have not come. What can I do? St. John Capistran turned to him and said, Fear not. God is able to do with few weak men to overthrow the Turkish power and defend the city and put our enemies to shame. We are fighting in God's cause. We are defending the name of Christ. I am confident that God will protect his own. Towards the beginning, the evening of the 21st, the Turks were seen to be in prayer. Soon a loud blare of trumpets and shouts, the entire host of the Turkish army descended upon them, and they began attacking the Christians also prayed, they calling upon the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They withheld that assault all night long. Then in the morning a new assault came, but the Christians had gotten sulfur and flame and the moat that had been filled up with wood and all sorts of uh, items was cast on fire and the Turks that were down there began to perish. The Christians then sallied forth. The Turks fled, saying, Let us flee. The God of the Christians is fighting for them. In full daylight, all those bodies of the Turks were seen piled up in that trench. But the Christians went forth, even though the commander did not want them to go. He realized how weak they truly were. But the crusaders would not be stopped. Under the holy name of Jesus, they went forth. Here's a quote from that book. Despising the natural strength of the Turks, one party after another advanced towards the enemy's lines, shouting the battle cry of Jesus. Their arrows fell within the camp but provoked no reply. Capistron saw that they were not to be held back, and so he went forth with them, that they might not be without a leader. Others joined him, making in all a band of about 2,000 on the open ground between their fortress and the enemy. The Turks seemed terrified, for they made no resistance but fled confusedly before the Christians. The Christians rushed on, occupied the nearest batteries, and spiked the guns. Soon there were 4,000 Christians or more, and their numbers were momentarily increasing. When at last the Turks began to rally to oppose the impetus onslaught of their foes. Then standing in the eminence, exposing himself to imminent danger of death, 
and from arrows and spears that fled through the air. He called aloud to the Christians that the time of the glorious victory had come and God had delivered the enemy into their hands. He ordered Peter, his standard bearer, to raise the cross and turn it towards the foe. The fight was hotly contested for a while, but after long the Turkish lines were broken. The cries of Jesus filled the air, seemed to have more than human terrors filled in the hearts of the infidels. All their courage died away. Some of the Turkish cavalry made a last effort to turn the tide of victory. They rode with lances and fierce shouts towards the place where St. John Capistron stood. But again the name of Jesus seemed to fill them with supernatural fear, for they too fled into confusion, turned, and fled. They routed the Muslims that day. A larger group that had, had attacked and destroyed and conquered Constantinople, the smaller army, because of the holy name of Jesus. When we consider the odds that they were up against, we consider what Pope Calixtus III had to say about that day. He said, O admirable empire of our Savior, the insane Turks, burning with anger and with the most powerful army, occupied the plains and the mountains. They pressed hard upon the fortress of Belgrade, which is the key to the Hungarian Empire. They destroyed the walls and other defenses and thought themselves in possession of the fortress. If this fortress had been lost, the very existence of the entire Christian Republic would have been in danger. With joy in our hearts, we were in the state of exultation after this memorable victory. We lost our old apathy, which had been caused by the inaction of Christian princes, and we gave thanks and honor to God and ordered that all Christians should pray and rejoice at this great victory. Now, this victory that we have before us is not something that is of time past. Not too long ago, March of last year, 2013, we see that in the Rhode Island State House, there were some that were trying to pass immoral laws that we are so accustomed to hearing about. A group of Christians went out there, and the name that was on their lips was Jesus. Jesus, over and over. And it drove away those enemies of God and enemies of the church. This name which conquers the enemies of our souls. Now we ourselves may not be facing the physical battle with the Mohammedans. We might. But we are facing every day the fight in our souls. The fight the world the flesh, and the devil. God has given us a very powerful means, the calling upon His holy name for our sanctification, that we might go victorious against what seems greater odds to us so often during the times of temptation. But if you call upon the holy name of Jesus with confidence, you will be victorious at the end of the struggle. We will end with a prayer in honor of St. John Capistron. O God, who through blessed John did cause thy faithful to prevail over the enemies of the cross in the power of the most holy name of Jesus, grant we beseech thee 
that by his intercession we may overcome the wiles of the enemies of our souls and be found ever worthy to receive from thee the crown of righteousness. Through the same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.